Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Can we do some preaching and teaching this morning? All right. I want you to go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and I'm going to read our theme verse for the series that we've started, Psalm 78 and 4. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come. What are we showing the generation to come? The praises of the Lord, His strength, and His wonderful works that He hath done. We are talking This week and for the next three weeks, as we did last week, the generation to come. Last week, we preached on you never know, and we talked about young David being anointed king and how you never know what God has planned for the next generation. If you missed it last week, you can check out the podcast on the Church Center app or through the website. Apple, Spotify podcasts, our audio is available. Everybody take your attention, and turn it to Acts chapter 20. Pastor Jackson's going to stay with me for just a couple more minutes. Verse number 7, when you're there, say amen. Amen. As of the rest of you, I'll read it for you. Verse number 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, And continued his speech until midnight. I don't want anybody to ever tell me I preach long. (laughs) He preached until midnight. There were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. How encouraging for the Apostle Paul as he's preaching. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep. Uh Uh-oh. And he fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. Verse 12, and they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. For our second sermon of the series, I want to preach on this. Don't bury them yet. Don't bury them yet. Father, I ask you right now to fill me with your spirit and pour me out. Let this word go forth and prosper in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Pastor Derek, what do you mean by don't bury them yet? Well, the passage tells us that there was a 
young man. Now, if you're a if you're a kind of person that writes in your Bible, I want you to underline or circle that word young or that phrase young man. Write that down if you're taking notes. He was a young man. This this fellow named Eutychus in our story represents to you and I today by way of application's sake, he represents the next generation. Here is a young individual seated in the presence of one of Christianity's greatest Christians and greatest preachers. And the Bible says as Paul is preaching, this young man falls into a deep sleep sitting in a window at the third loft. He falls out of the window outside of this building or facility, and everybody says that he's dead. And the Bible says that out of the crowd and the congregation, Paul is the one that goes to him, falls on him, embraces him, and says, no, 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 no. Don't bury him yet. He's not, he's not, he might be dead, but, but we're not, we're not going to write him off as done. And the Bible says that Paul speaks and says, there's life in him. Can I say to you very quickly by way of introduction, this is how we need to respond to the condition of the next generation. This is the declaration that moms and dads, grandparents, members of New Grace here today at 9 a.m. need to respond to the reality and the condition of the next generation. I believe this story really gives you and I some very powerful points or powerful takeaways for, for us as a church, as parents, and even as individual believers. Well, I don't have a kid over there in, 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 in NG Kids today, or I don't have children of my own. That doesn't make you exempt as a believer from this kind of application. And I, I just real quickly, real quickly for time's sake, can we just take a deeper look at the story and, and allow the Holy Spirit to give us some insight and instruction as to the current condition of the next generation? Let's, let's outline the Bible. Can we go through it? It's called homiletics. It's called exposition. Let's go verse by verse together. Verse number nine, it says, there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus. If you're taking notes, write this down. I want to first look at Eutychus's seat. I want you to see his seat. Because his seat tells us that the next generation is disconnected. Now, what do, you, what do you mean by disconnected? Well, the Bible says that he was sitting in a window. I don't know about you, but if you're a young man or a young woman in a church service, you're sitting in a window, that means you've probably discovered two things about that window. A window is real good for looking, and a window is really good for leaving. He's sitting at the window purposely. I think he picked the seat himself. I don't think it was because it was overcrowded. He probably got there early to sit in the back, in the top, look out the window. There was a disconnect that happened in where he as the next generation was sitting. He's looking outside. He's he's immersed and he's immersed his imagination and what's happening beyond the things that are happening in the very room where God is moving, where Paul is preaching. I mean, even while the lights are burning ablaze and people are testifying of the Lord's goodness. He's sitting in a window and he's looking out the window. He's leaving out the window. What does it mean, Pastor Derek, for the next generation to be disconnected? It means they're detached or withdrawn. Me and Pastor Jeff wrote this sermon together and his note says this, oh, Udy was withdrawn. 
Now, what do we mean by that? I don't know about I don't know about you, but if you're raising or ever raised a kid, you know what detached and withdrawn means. You ever tried to have a conversation with them? You ever tried to talk to them? You ever tried to ask them any questions and you get nothing but a groan or a grunt? And the only thing moving is that thumb. And you're like, where, 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 hey, where'd you go? Where you at? We were just having a conversation, and you just dipped out on me. Welcome back. I'm trying to talk to you. And that world is calling and pulling, and the next generation is seated. They might be at church, but, and they, listen, they might be in church, but that doesn't mean the church is in them. And they, they, might, they might be in the Word, but it doesn't mean the Word is in them. They might be in the truth today, but it doesn't mean the truth is in them. And listen, if, 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 if you are raising a little crumb grabber who's wearing a diaper, the day cometh. The day cometh. And, and I'm, not, I'm not slamming on the next generation because the current generation is just as bad. That's why we're not equipped on how to help them re-engage and reconnect because we ourselves are almost, if not just as much, disconnected. His seat tells us that the next generation is disconnected. But notice what it says. It says that he fell into a deep sleep and as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep. Write this down. I want you to see his sleep. Because his sleep tells us that the next generation is dormant. The word dormant means temporarily inactive or inoperative. Eutychus was checked out. Even with all the lights on. Even with the dispensation of the church age being revealed through the mystery of Paul's preaching, everybody's jaw is dropping open. People on the edge of their seat because he's preaching something that the Pharisees didn't preach. And he's preaching something that Paul didn't even preach. And he's ushering in this new covenant of Jesus Christ. And everybody's like, oh my God, I've never heard this. I never knew this. And while he's doing that, somebody in the next generation is three levels in on some good REM. I remember, it's so different. I know, I know I'm that guy now. God, I know I'm that old guy now. I know I'm him. But I remember just 15 years ago, 15 years ago preaching, I remember seeing the next generation on the edge of their seat leaning in, youth revivals and youth crusades and, and, and youth retreats. And I remember being in church services and revivals where there were 15-year-olds and 18-year-olds and 12-year-olds just on the edge of their seat waiting to tackle the altar and get with God and get a fresh revelation and a fresh touch from heaven. And now I could be preaching in the Spirit of God moving in this very room and I, my eyes find the countenance or face of a middle or a high schooler and they're like this. They don't know how to function. They don't know how to function without the phone. They don't know how to function without a PlayStation or an Xbox. They don't know how to function without Netflix or TV or YouTube. And, and, and we have to compete with the creativity and the complexities the world has to offer. Their attention spans, and ours as well, are shorter than they've ever, like right now it's happening. I'm preaching, and there's some people, they can't even focus because they're so used to being entertained by the world, and now you're in a place where we're not using an earthly tool to try to reach your carnal imagination. We're trying to take the Spirit of God and the living Word of His testimony and impregnate your spirit with power from on high, but we're so wrapped in this fleshly domain, and we're dormant. 
And the next generation is going to be more dormant than our generation. Notice what it says. As he sunk down with the sleep, he fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. He falls down from the third loft. I've been preaching before and seen somebody have a seizure. I've been preaching before and seen somebody get up and walk to the back and hit a chair and fall over it. Yeah, it's real hard to keep it together when you're the one that sees it happen. I've been preaching before and seen an old lady get choked on a piece of candy. Had to be taken out in the lobby by all 17 deacons of the church and give her the Heimlich maneuver. Most exciting thing ever happened to that church. I can imagine sitting there, you're preaching, and you notice, for the most part, you notice about everybody. I've preached to 2,000 before, and it's hard to notice everybody, but there's probably not 2,000 people in whatever this building is. It's probably a room packed like this, and there's obviously a second story and a third story, because Eutychus falls from the third loft. And Paul notices he's probably sleeping. And, and I'm going to tell you something. When, when your voice inflection, you drop down here and you get that movie preview voice. And then all of a sudden, you go, hey! And they're still asleep. And Paul probably sees him leaning out that window, sawing logs in his slumbering. People hollering, ah! Oh! Eutychus just fell out the window. Eutychus. What a name, Eutychus. Eutychus too if you would have fell out the third story of a church service. Everybody runs, and they just time out in the middle of church service. Time out. Everybody goes running outside. And he's laying there on the ground. You fall from three stories up. I mean, you're falling from about that height. Wouldn't you say, JJ, about the top of the roof right here? Yeah, you're probably dead. I, I, I have a really carnal, creative imagination, you know. I imagine everybody panics, runs out there, and Paul's like, you know how Paul probably, Paul, Paul's probably like, everybody's panicking, running out there. His mama's freaking out. His brothers and sisters are like, oh my God, beauty. He laying there on the ground. <laughs> got the leg, got that family guy leg kicked up like that. <laughs> and there, look, I, here's, here's what's crazy. Everybody runs out there, sees him, and rush to judgment. Rush to the conclusion of the matter. He's dead. And the Bible says... That Paul responds to him differently than anybody else there. And I want you to see not only his sleep, not only his seat, his sentence is that the next generation is dead. They're, they're dead. Just go ahead, dig a hole. They're never going to get it. They're the last inning. 
They're the last leg of the race. They're the last generation before Jesus probably comes back. And they're going to be the deadest religious generation to ever live on the earth. And there is no hope for them. I want to say something to you. There are going to be a lot of people that will wag their head and shake their head at the next generation and their current condition. But I refuse to ever be classified as one of them old heads that thinks God is done with our children. I want you to see, lastly, his salvation, which tells us the next generation will be delivered. Can I preach for a couple minutes? The next generation is going to be delivered. I believe that God is going to do a reviving work in the next generation. And I believe that at New Grace, you and I are going to be able to witness it. I believe that you and I are going to see it. I believe that we will not only be spectators, I believe that there are adults in this room even now, the Holy Ghost, can I, can I preach? Let me preach a little bit. Lord, give me some gifts and let me preach a little bit. I believe there are some adults in this room. I believe there's some moms and some dads. I feel the Holy Ghost starting to shift. There's some folks in this room who are, who are par- partakers, who are partners and presence with the next generation. And, and I believe, I truly believe that they are going to help usher in a reviving, an awakening, a resurrecting in the next generation. I'm not interested at what they're doing at the church up the road. I don't care what kind of bells and whistles they have for the kids. I'm not interested in how many PlayStations they got on the wall or how many Xboxes they're playing with. I'm not interested in how many tricks and how many treats they're handing out every Sunday. I want to know, is there anybody in this community that is telling the next generation about the truth and the gravity of the gospel of Jesus Christ? My question is, is anybody showing them the way? Is anybody preaching them the truth? Is anybody passing on life? because I got a Bible that teaches and tells me that the Lord Jesus Christ declared with a heart of assurance and authority. He said, I am the truth. I am the way and I am the life. And we don't need churches that are trying to be trendy and cool and hip and with it. What we need more than ever are people that believe and know the power of the name of Jesus who stand on the authority of the testimony of his word. People who people who are resolved and they have decided and committed themselves to showing the next generation that Jesus saves and that there is nothing, nobody, anybody like Jesus. Ain't nothing wrong with PlayStations and Xboxes. Ain't nothing wrong with Rice Krispie Treats and ain't nothing wrong with Sour Patch Kids. Amen, Ashley. Ain't nothing wrong with all that stuff. There ain't nothing wrong with slides and slipping slides and inflatables. Ain't, but we're not packaging them with manufactured religion. We are trying to break them out of the generational chains that church is a box you check. So we need volunteers and we need servants and we need leaders and we need small group or small group people. We need people who are anointed with truth and who believe in the investment they're making in the next generation. I want to be a church that breaks the curses. A church that shatters spells. 
A church that brings restoration and renewal to our children. I mean, where they don't have to live in the darkness that we lived in and they don't have to walk in the same footsteps that we walked in. Somebody that can be some chain breakers, some opening of prison doors and setting the captives free and proclaiming liberty to those who are in prison. Like, where is that in the 21st century? I want to be the Paul who refuses to plan a funeral for the next generation. I want, to be a, I want to be a Paul who will not accept an obituary written. Mm-hmm. God, I wish I had an organ right now. I'd really be preaching. We're going to have to figure that out. We're going to have to figure that out. I don't care, I don't care if it's some holy honky-tonk. We've got to figure it out. I want, to see, I want to show you his salvation. Disconnected? Yeah, they are. Dormant? Yeah, they are. Dead? Yeah, they are. But where's Paul? Where's the mom? Where's the dad? Where's, where's the believer? Where's the Christian that says, no, no, hold on. There's life in him. His salvation is that the next generation will be delivered. It says Paul, look at verse 10, fell on him. Paul fell on him. Here's, here's how you deliver the next generation. I got three things quickly. Number one, cover them. Cover them. The Bible says that Paul ran to him and fell on him. He went down. Everybody say down. And he fell. Everybody say fell. He fell on him. You've got to cover the next generation. I wrote this down. Paul fell on him as if to get between the boy and this crowd of would-be coroners. Maybe like Paul, you need to fall on what has fallen. you got to fall on your Eutychus. I'm going to tell you something. There's going to come a day when they fall. There's going to come a day when they fall, they may slip right through your fingers, and they fall, and they make a mistake, they mess up, and it looks like they are as good as dead and as good as done. I wonder, where are the moms and the dads, where is the generation presently that will cover the generation to come? I wrote this down. Sometimes you got to fall on your Eutychus with some CPR. CPR. you got to cover, you got to pray, and you got to revive. Y'all ain't hearing me. you got to cover, you got to pray, and you got to revive. My Bible teaches and tells me that prayer serves as a covering. The Bible says in Ephesians, go ahead and put Ephesians chapter 6, concerning the armor of God, the very last piece of warfare mentioned by Paul in verse number 18, he said this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Your children are included in that. Our babies are included in that. The next generation is included in that. And the Bible teaches us that prayer serves as a covering. See, prayer is how you get in the devil's way of what he's trying to do to the next generation. Prayer is how you interrupt and you intervene and you intercept in what darkness has planned for your next generation. My Bible teaches and tells me that Jesus told Peter, he said, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. You missed that part. I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail thee not. 
Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. We need to be the generation that covers the next generation in prayer. I'm talking about pray for them, pray over them. Because heaven goes to work when you begin to pray. Where's Mason at? Mason, where you at? You've been back there the whole time. You finish your cigarette? Get over here. (laughs) Get down. The next generation, act like you're praying. You ain't Muslim, son. Tuck them arms in. What the? I don't even think Mecca's that way. Our children are trying to live for God. They're trying to pick this up. They're trying to figure this out. They're trying to understand it. They're trying to explore it. Right now, the next generation is ripe for the picking more than I believe it's ever been. And I believe what is missing in the next generation is covering. What is missing are mamas and daddies and step-parents and grandparents and church family that is getting in between what the devil, the Bible says the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The Bible says that the devil walked about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says that the thief, the enemy, comes at night and sows weeds among the wheat. It is the enemy that is after our babies. He wants to pollute their imagination. He wants to toxify their testimony. He wants to derail their destiny. The devil is after your children. The devil is after my babies. The devil is after our boys and our girls. And what we need are men and women that believe in the power of Jesus' name, that believe in the authority and the testimony of Scripture, and draw a line in the sand and say, Satan, if you want to mess with my children, if you want to mess with the next generation, you're going to have to penetrate the covering of my presence prayers because day and night I believe if I call their name my prayers are ordained to orchestrate your will my father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in my son thy will be done in my daughter not their will not my will not others will but thy will be done blessed be God we've got to get to a point where we lay hands where we call it out, where we pray and agree and we partner and we cover the next generation. Because if you're going to mess with our children, you're going to have to undo our covering. Satan can't touch and Satan cannot thwart the power of a praying parent. Because sometimes you've got to get in between them and the enemy They don't know how to pray for themselves. I'm talking about making war. I'm talking about dispatching. I don't care if your kids are 35 years old. I believe prayer jumps zip codes. I don't think prayer is bound to residences and addresses and property parcels. I'm telling you, listen to me, this room right now is filled with testimonies and trophies of God's goodness because some of you are here right now because you had a praying mama, you had a praying daddy, you had a praying grandparent, you had a praying friend, you had a praying preacher, and somebody laid hands on you, somebody believed God for you, somebody called your name when you weren't even thinking about Jesus. Those days you were out there living 100 miles an hour 
in the wrong direction and God was nowhere on your radar or your mind, there was somebody somewhere that was praying for you, believing God and interceding on your behalf. I wonder, do I have anybody in this room that'll help me right now take a praise break? If you believe, bless God, they may be disconnected and they may be dormant. They may even look dead, but I don't believe they're done because prayer gets in the way and it provides a covering. It provides a covering over what God has ordained. Give him praise in the house. Thank you, son. Cover them. Cling to them. The Bible says that he fell on him. Watch this now. Come here, Mason. I don't need a blanket. Just get back down there. The Bible says that when Eutychus fell, act like you're dead. So he fell face down. That's the gracious looking death I've ever seen. Still got that Mecca death going on. There you go. The Bible says that he fell on him. He covered him. And then it says he embraced him. I I saw a video one time. Will Ferrell was out like he was drowning in a baby pool, and Jim Carrey got down there like a lifeguard trying to help him. (laughs) This will be a whole lot easier if you just relax. (laughs) Jeff's preaching at 11. You don't want him doing this to you. He'll actually break your neck off. It said he clung to him. Let me say say something to you. Listen to me. There are times in life where the greatest lesson learned is in letting go. There are times where you have to let go of what God wants buried. But an even greater lesson is learning how to hold on to what God wants breathing. Listen to me. You will never get a permission slip from the Holy Ghost to give up on your child. God will never authorize or validate and give you liberty or a license to throw your kid away and entrust them with the world. Listen to me. I don't care what they smoke. I don't care what they drink. I don't care what the body count is. I don't, wear, I don't care what laws they broke, broke, what crimes they commit. I don't care who they run with. I don't care where they run to. I don't care who or what they run from. God is never going to validate you throwing up your hands and saying it's too late. They're too far gone. They're too dead. You need to stop for a moment and you need to praise God that somebody didn't say that about you. You need to recognize that Jesus came to you and came after you when you had on them Jonah shoes and you were running 100 miles an hour trying to get away from Nineveh. Yet God prepared a boat. God prepared a fish. God prepared a coastline and a shore to deliver your sorry soul and give you another chance. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful this morning. God's a God of second chances. God's a God of tenth chances. God's a God who over and over, he renews his mercy. They are new every single day. Great is his faithfulness. If I'm supposed to emulate an example to the next generation, the kindness of the king, I can't say 
Well, all right, y'all go ahead and hit the headlights on that hearse. Let's pick out some flowers, sign into the guest book, we're done. You're my kid. Listen, Daddy, you're, this is how, I'm going to tell you, you're my kid, no matter what. You are my boy. You are my, I don't care what kind of lifestyle you envelop or what kind of decision making you end up plunging into, what kind of error, what kind of heresy, what kind of apostasy you may be a part of, I will never mark you as written off. Cling to them. Cover them. Pray for them. And let me say something. If you're praying for your kid, it may get worse before it gets better. The last week of this series, me and Lynn are going to do a sermon on winning the heart of a rebel. We pray, Lord, I'm training up a child in the way he should go, that when he is old, he will not depart from it. Get the context of the verse. When he is old, it doesn't say when he's 20, he won't be a bonehead. It doesn't say that someone won't try to convince him to lay down in a grave of death. It doesn't say that he won't get to a dorm and be challenged to remember everything that you imparted into him. Cover them. Cling to them. Everybody else is letting you go, but I'm holding on. Lastly, call it over them. Call it over them. Paul fell on him, and it, what are you jumping for? <laughs> oh, I spit on you. You didn't shower this morning. Paul fell on him, and embracing him, he said to everybody, uh-uh, put that shovel down. No, 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 no. There's life in him. He spoke it. He said it. He called it. He declared it. Are you hearing me? Life is in him. I was reminded, and I almost called y'all this week to make sure I had my information correct, but there was a fella and, and his family went to our church way back in the shopping center days and they moved to North Carolina. His name was Lance, Lance McCarty. Lance was with, was with his children. They were riding bikes. Lance had had heart trouble. He had a pacemaker. And, and Lance fell over, collapsed, was no longer breathing. His heart was not beating. And his kids were screaming for help. There happened to be two people on that bike trail that day that were EMT. And they came to Lance and they began to perform CPR. Megan, how long did they perform CPR? Was it 15, 20? They were cardiac nurses. Ain't God good. You work with both of them. They happened to be there the same time. And he was in a remote part of the trail. 45 minutes? They did CPR on Lance's lifeless body for 45 minutes. And, every, and, and the people that they were waiting on was telling them, it's been over a half hour. It's been 45 minutes. Just call it. Call it. Call it and say, it's done. He's dead. He's flatlined. He's not coming back. It's over. Call it. They, they refused to call it as dead, and they decided to call it for life. And they worked on him 
and kept him, listen, they kept him revived enough to where when they got here, they got him in the ambulance. They were able to fully revive him, sustain a heartbeat, sustain consciousness, and Lance is back to his goofy, lively self to this very moment. I started calling him Lancerous because the Joker was dead and came back to life. Let me say something. That is what we need to do for the next generation. Come on, Pastor JJ, help me close. I'm going to leave this plane in the atmosphere. What we need to do with the next generation is call it. We refuse to believe that they're dead. We refuse to believe that they're done. Everybody else may throw the towel in. Everybody else may say it's over and it's too late. I don't care what they get hooked on. I don't care who they hook up with. I don't care where they go or what they do. We got to believe that there is life in our children. There is life in the next generation. And if they might be dead, we have a God who said, I am not done. Do I got anybody this morning that'll help me believe and declare that there is life. There's abundant life. There's breathing life. There's full life. There's blood life. There's a beating life. There's God life. There's life. There's life in the next generation. Somebody stand up with me. Somebody needs to call it. You got to say it out loud. You got to sing it out loud. You got to shout it out loud. There's power in the name of Jesus. He who was dead and is now alive, he was dead, but he wasn't done. You got to speak to that grave. You got to speak to that child. You got to speak to that that boy, that girl. You've got to make the call. Here we go. The ball's in your court. You have to make the call. Think about that. You make the call. Are they done? They don't listen to me. We no longer connect. They're changing. They're out of reach. Make the call. What do you speak to them? What do you speak over them? What do you verbally and vocally declare when they're in the room? What do you verbally and vocally declare when they're out of the room? Yeah, but it's getting worse. Make the call. Make the call. Do you ever say it out loud? Maybe this is about your ear hearing your mouth say what your heart believes. Maybe we need to be the church. I've said it. I've made the call this morning. I'm preaching. Pastor Jeff's going to be preaching. We're making the call. But what would happen in this room? What would happen to our families? What would happen in our babies, in our teenagers? What would happen in our schools? What would happen in the next generation if we began to make the call? Say it. Declare it. Believe it. Claim it. Prophesy it. Promise it. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.